Well, good morning, Hope. Welcome to worship. Turn to the person next to you, wherever you are. Waukee, Grimes, Ames, Hope Elam, uh, Hope Ankeny, local sites, like eight of them now. Hello to Newton, who are brand new with us the last few weeks. Uh, uh, watching online, wherever you might be. We're big in Denmark, just like David Hasselhoff's big in Germany. It's, on, it's, it's, it's really hard to fathom, but it happens. So hello, uh, Mangatok, uh, for worshiping with us in Denmark. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm really glad you're here. That's what I was trying to say. Sincerely glad. And um, I want to say, before I really get rolling on this sermon, thank you. Thank you to Hope Worship, to our worship band, the production crew, uh, the crew that came up from North Carolina to make music videos out of it last night at worship night. That band uh, and, and the production behind the scenes here at Hope, that whole group was here last night. They basically put on a worship concert, and then there were... <laughs> there were encores they weren't prepared for. People just like, bring us more, bring us more. And so they were here over time. It takes a lot of work to put all that together. And every single one of them is back this morning. They're back this morning because they do it for the glory of God, not the glory of them. And they do it because they love God and they love you. So praise God for their hearts, for their spirit. Um, they're here because it's what we do. We worship. This is what churches, at the heart of who we are, is what we do when we gather on weekends to worship the Lord, and then we go from there to carry out the mission of the church. So we're in the midst of this series of sermons called the Ten Commandments in Nine Weeks. The Ten Commandments were given to God's people while they were uh, wandering through the wilderness from life as, as slaves in Egypt into the freedom of a new life in a promised land. It took them 40 years. It's taken hope almost 30 years, and you saw that video at the beginning of the service uh, with the opening song, which... <laughs> The people who made it kept it a secret from me <laughs> until last night. <laughs> and if I had known, I wouldn't have let them do it uh, for all sorts of reasons. Like, nobody needs to see me 30 years ago on video. Um, but it's, I, I'm glad they did, actually, because it tells the story of how good our God is. Uh, and there's highlights along the way, and there's valleys along the way, and there's Red Seas parting along the way, miracles, and there's, there's uh, moments where the manna comes down from heaven, which I said last night is like Krispy Kreme donuts, only they're good for you, uh, that God provides just what we need when we need it. And that's, this, that's our story. But just like he did for his people back in Old Testament times, he does for us. His law still stands. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And the Greek word means to complete it, to bring it to completion through my life, death, and resurrection. It doesn't mean it's dismissed. That's a heresy as centuries old. The law still stands. And so doing this series of sermons is, is we're a church that continues to move together like God's people do in biblical times. We need God's law. God's law provides the, the white lines on the highway that keeps us out of the ditches. The, the law allows us to move more freely, to get the most out of life, to enjoy the scenery more, to to enjoy the real riches and wealth of life, which is about relationships. It's not about making piles of money and getting famous. It's not about having power and popularity. Have you learned this yet? It's about your relationships. How rich really are you? It depends on your relationships. Your relationship with the one who made you, which God is always more than willing to to help you on that relationship, to help you grow in that relationship. And it's about you and your relationship with other people, your family, your friends, 
your, your co-workers, your classmates, your neighbors, your church, the people in your Bible study group, your prayer group, your mission team, wherever you go. That's where the good life is. And that's why God gives us these commands. He gives these commands to give us a truth that sets us free. So we're up to commandment number eight. That's the Lutheran Catholic Orthodox numbering system that's been around for thousands of years. If you prefer the, the uh, version used by other Protestants, it's only about 500 years old. Ours is ancient. Yours is kind of new. But whatever. We're going to go with, we're going to go, since we're Lutheran Church of Hope, we're going to go with the one that's been around for thousands of years. This is number eight. You might know it as number nine. It doesn't matter. It's the same content. Number eight in the Lutheran Catholic Orthodox numbering system is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's not Mr. Rogers. That's Bob Barker before the price is right up on the screen. And he used to host a show called Truth or Consequences. It's from the 1970s. If you were around in the 1970s, you know how awesome that decade was. If you weren't around in the 1970s, I can explain this show to you really briefly. Bob Barker would come out with all of his charisma and personality that is Bob Barker back in the day. And he would come out and he would have people from the studio audience come down and he would ask them a question. That was the truth part of the show. And the question was absolutely impossible to answer. It was either a joke or a pun that nobody would know the punchline to, or if by some rare chance they did know it and they got it right, there'd be follow-up questions. And the follow-up questions were harder than the original question, which made it impossible for them to answer. So it was truth, and if you get the truth of the question right, if you get the answer right, then you win, but nobody would win. And so now you have to suffer the consequences. And so the next thing you know, you're in a cage with a tiger, or, or you're, on, you're, you're riding a ukulele or, or, or a, a unicycle around the studio. Riding a ukulele? <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you try to preach two different sermons in one weekend. But anyway... So Bob Barker would give them the truth, and then if they didn't get the truth right, they'd suffer the consequences. Look at the logo for the show. The truth has the halo, representing angels and all that's good and God and biblical, and the consequences have the devil's pitchfork. So it is. Truth or consequences. You shall tell the truth. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not lie, tell lies against or about your neighbor, but you shall tell the truth. The Bible testifies that when Jesus was born in John chapter 1, he was called the one who is full of grace and truth. Later on, as Jesus grows up and starts his ministry, he says to his followers, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Jesus is truth. And so when we bear false witness, we move away from that truth. And when we give witness to the truth, we give witness to Jesus Christ. So this isn't just about do you tell fibs and do you tell little white lies or gray lies or, or, or red lies or black lies. They have all these different colors for lies, apparently. It's not about that so much as it's about a matter of faith. And it really gets back to the very beginning of who we are and our relationship with God and what's good and what's evil and which way we go, which is why these commandments are such a blessing and a gift. The Bible says, maybe you didn't know this, if you did, you know it. If you don't, this is going to kind of, you know, shake you up a little bit. There are six things the Lord hates. Did you know God hates some things? I thought God was love. God loves everything. Well, God hates sin. God is not in the sin blessing business. And specifically, on the list, according to the, uh, Proverbs 6, God's word, no, it's not six, it's seven things that he detests. 
haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies. There's our commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. How is it that that made God's top ten list in the commandments and his top seven list of the things that he detests and hates? It's a big deal to God. While it might not seem like that big of a deal to us in terms of, you know, importance and, and relevance of the commandments of the ten that are listed, it absolutely is. A false witness who pours out lies is something that I hate, God says, and I've hated it from the very beginning. The very first story that's told about human beings in the Bible is about Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and a serpent, the devil, who comes to tempt them. There's only one rule in that Garden of Eden, which is paradise. It's heaven on earth. In fact, death hasn't even been introduced into the world in this Garden of Eden because there is no sin. So here comes the tempter to try to introduce sin into this paradise. There's only one rule. Don't eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In other words, don't play God. Don't try to know what only God can know. Don't try to have the power that only God can have. Don't do a bad impression of the creator of the universe. You aren't God. Turn to the person next to you and say, you really aren't God. Definitely are not God. That's original sin. Is us pretending to be something we aren't. Us wanting to be something we aren't. Us desiring something that we can't have. That, that we can't just accept our condition as being under God instead of as God. So in this garden, here comes the serpent who is the devil... And his name literally means the father of lies. Jesus will say that later in the New Testament. So here comes the liar. And how does he introduce sin into this world? How does he mess up this whole planet and turn it upside down? With a lie. Did God really tell you you can't eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Come on. You're not going to die. I mean, think about it. Here's a rule of thumb in life, just spiritually speaking. Actually, practically speaking, here's a rule of thumb in life. If you know Jesus has a will for you in any given dilemma or situation, if you know this is God's will, this is what Jesus would have me do, I'm certain of it. I know this is what he would have me do. But boy, this seems like the right thing to do. It doesn't have to be polar opposite. It could just be a few degrees off. It just seems like this is what everybody else does. All the fish are swimming downstream like this. And I know Jesus wants me to do this, but it's so hard. It's so hard. It doesn't make sense. And that's the devil's game. He doesn't come showing up in our lives wearing a red shiny suit and a tail and a pitchfork, you know, and horns and the whole thing and say, hello, I'm the devil and I'm here to tempt you. Subtle, crafty. Knows our weaknesses. Doesn't have to get us to become atheists. Just needs to get us busy. Just needs to get us distracted. Just, gives, just needs to get our attention off of, I know this is God's will. I know this is what Jesus would have me do. But this is really making a lot of sense. It's practical. It just seems like this would be better. It's very tempting to start to think that we don't have to trust God. It's original sin is what it is. It's trying to know good and evil in a way only God knows. And instead of trusting God for that good and evil, we go our own way. We invent our own morals, our own rules, our own boundaries, our own commands, our own this is right, this is wrong, and God's just old-fashioned. That's the devil. Subtle, crafty, 
a liar. This is the better way to go. Everybody thinks so. So you just must not be getting it. And the more you look at it, the more tempting it becomes. You won't die. And so they give in to the temptation. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is out in the wilderness before his ministry picks up and really begins and, and, and really gets started and hits, hits on all cylinders. While he's in the wilderness, he's been fasting, hasn't had anything to eat for 40 days. And here comes the tempter. Here comes the liar. Here comes the devil. Hey, Jesus, I know you're hungry. So if you're really the son of God, take these stones. You're the God of creation. You're the God of nature. Take these stones and turn them into your favorite kind of bread. I mean, how could that be wrong? How, how could that not be God's will? How, how, how could God not want you to have these stones turn into bread? Plus, as a bonus, Jesus, you will prove to me that you are God. That the Bible that says the fullness of God's deity dwells bodily in the person, in the human form of Jesus Christ, will come to fruition. <laughs> and I will obviously see it, and everybody will hear about this, and they'll know how powerful you are. And how, You see how good it starts to sound? What could possibly be wrong with having a bite of bread and proving to the devil I'm God? Well, it's not God's will. You weren't put here in this moment to do that. You can eat later. Right now, it's time to fast. Right now, it's time to prepare for the ministry that, that your father has sent you, the son, to accomplish in this world. Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Where Adam and Eve give in to the temptation, of course, Jesus resists. But this is the problem. The devil, he is a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. This is what Jesus says about his enemy. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. It's the definition of his name. And that's why we lie. I doubt hardly any of us are pathological liars. If you are, seek help. But for the rest of us, we don't wake up in the morning thinking, I'm going to tell a bunch of lies. I'm going to go out and sow seeds of deception. I'm going to defame a bunch of people. I'm going to exaggerate. I'm going to gossip. I I I'm going to slander. I'm going to get involved in some libel while I'm at it. it. Sounds like a fun day. Here's the agenda. Let's go. I don't think hardly any of us start our day thinking, I hope I get to tell a lot of lies today. That's going to make it a better day. But that's where the temptation comes in, from the one who's the father of lies. And so we need to be equipped. We need to put on what the Bible says, the full armor of God. Because this battle, as Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. Be afraid of the one who comes for your soul. Be afraid of the one who tempts you to think, if you become a workaholic, at least you're making a lot of money. At least you, you could become famous, maybe, and a bunch of people could know who you are, and wouldn't that be better for everybody anyway? No, it wouldn't. It would be better if you live God's way and put first things first, and, and that gets down the list. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does this mean? Here comes Martin Luther to gives us a beautiful biblical summary of this commandment in the small catechism that he wrote for parents to teach the faith to their kids. He says, we're to fear and love God so that we do, he writes, we're to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies, obviously, about our neighbors. That's what this commandment means. But it also means to betray them, to slander them. And then he goes on in the large catechism to comment even more deeply about all the different versions of lies. 
Instead, we're to come to their defense, speak well of them, and interpret everything they do in the best possible light. So there's the don't part of this commandment, the negative side of it, and then flip side of the same coin, there's the positive side. There's the don't do this, but do that instead. Don't do in the red letters, don't tell lies, don't betray, don't slander. Pretty self-explanatory. Don't think I need to persuade a lot of you on that. But in addition to that, this commandment inspires us to go down the positive road. To come to the defense. Think how countercultural that is. Think about the way of the world these days. Think about what the world teaches. When somebody does you wrong, when, when rumors start spreading about somebody, when, when people are making up things that aren't substantiated, what does the world tell us to do? Join in the fun. Give me the dirt. Hit me with the gossip. Let's talk about people behind their backs. They aren't here. It'll be more fun. Nobody will get hurt. They won't know. We'll just have fun with it. It'll be great. But this commandment tells us actually, you're going to kill relationships. You're going to really hurt other people. And you're going to hurt yourself too. Come to their defense. Speak well of them. Interpret everything they do in the best possible light. Be the person in the room who says, do we know this is true for sure? When the rumors start floating around. How do you know this? Ask a question. You don't have to be all sanctimonious about it. Like, you know, Jesus says we shouldn't do this. Just say, how, how do you know that? What's your source for that? Even if you're suspicious that maybe it's true. This is what the commandment tells us on the flip side of the coin. Speak well of them. Put everything they do in the best possible light. It'll go better for you if you do. There are different forms of bearing false witness. The more literal, more obvious one from Old Testament times, like Deuteronomy 19, says this. If the accuser brings into a courtroom false charges against his fellow Israelite, you must impose on the accuser the sentence he intended for the other person. If you're wondering if that says what you think you just read, it does. <laughs> it's pretty intense. In other words, if you drag somebody to court and sue them for doing something immoral... And it turns out you were making, a, making it up to get revenge, to hurt them, to defame them, to, to, to hurt their character, to destroy it. You're going to actually get the sentence for that crime. If you accuse somebody of murder and it's made up, it's fabricated, and that comes out in the courtroom, you're going to suffer the punishment for murder. That's intense. I'm not recommending that. I'm not saying that that should be the morality of our courtrooms today. But it was in a particular time, in a particular context, in a particular place. Because it was unruly. It was, it, things were, were spiraling out of control. But this commandment is still so relevant for us today. And scripture still stands. Now's the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, behave, uh, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. Put on your new nature and be renewed. Soak up that photo just for a moment. I don't know how those of you who are teens do it. I, I have such a heart for you. I, I, I pray for you all the time. The teens in our church family. I remember what it was like being in junior high and high school in the 80s. I loved it. It was awesome. But man, it was a stress factory. 
I, mean, I had a blast. I, I don't have PTSD from my high school years or anything like that. I, I, I look back on it with fondness. I have great joy when I think about those years. But man, the drama in the hallways. Did you hear what she or he did? You, you know what happened? Did you know? And that was without smartphones. And this is what I mean about teens today. Do you know the average teen sends 168 text messages a day? Multiply that by all the teens at school that are circulating. And that's not even social media. TikTok and, and the gram, Instagram, and, and, and everywhere else that, that, that teens might be. By the way, they're not on Facebook anymore. If you're wondering where all the kids went on Facebook, they left when we got there. Facebook has now become something for people my age and older. Just public service announcement, nothing to do with this sermon, just putting that out there. And email, forget about it. They're not going to see it. It's just not going to happen, almost always. But can you imagine, I can't imagine, what it would be like to go through teen years with all of the social peer pressure and then leap on top of that 168 text messages a day multiplied by all my friends, plus all the social media posts and the stories and everything else that's out there that's being done virtually. And so this girl depicts the girl who discovers that people are lying about her, or talking about her. And I know almost all of you know how that feels, not just kids. You know how it feels to be talked about in ways that aren't true, in ways that aren't certainly the the whole truth and nothing but the truth in ways that are twisted and spun so that you look worse than you really are. It's hard enough to keep up with the things that you really are, much less stand against the things you get accused of being sometimes. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, whatever campus or local site you're at or watching online. But I have a feeling if I did, almost all of our hands would go up. Do you know how it feels to be lied about? Do you know that psychologists, researchers have now discovered that that line, sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me, is false? They've actually done the study, but biologically they've done the study to show that when people call you names unjustly, when they tell lies about you, you physically get hurt at the same level inside your body as when you get hit with a stick. Sticks and stones do break our bones, and so do names. They hurt us physically. They're hard to take. I know. I know. In just the last two weeks, I, I, I've had a group of other pastors who don't, I don't even know who they are. They certainly don't know who I am. But they've just been slamming this church, slamming me, coming after us for who knows what reason, what their motive is. But see, that's always it. It's the motive. Maybe there's all sorts of reasons for it. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's they don't like the way we do it. They wish we did it the way they did it. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's revenge. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this, and I'll never forget, my college basketball coach taught this to me. He said, and don't be too impressed. It was a little D3 school, and I wasn't even a starter. But, it, but I was on the team, and he said, the very first kind of team meeting practice, my freshman year, he said, listen, when you're on this basketball team, on this campus, and in this town, you're going to get way more credit than you've earned or deserved, and you're going to get way more criticism than you've earned and deserved, and the key is not to believe any of it, because it's all lies. 
The truth is the thing that sets us free. Not trying to get the flattery and the accolades and the exaggerations of people who don't even know us, but also not believing the truth of people who come after us and slam us when they don't even know who we are. And they don't really understand. But it's really more about their motives and what's going on inside of them. Now's the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, and slander and dirty language in this world. Stop lying to each other. Put on your new nature in Christ and be renewed. Be renewed. But it's not just slander. That's the most obvious way to bear false witness against a neighbor other than lying in a courtroom. It's denial or betrayal, what Peter and Judas did to Jesus. Peter is, is questioned and when Jesus is put on trial right before his crucifixion and everything's falling apart. And, and some random person in the crowd says, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. And Peter says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just like Jesus said Peter would do. And Peter said, I'd rather die than do that. But isn't that the way the devil works? It's not just the lies, it's the motives underneath it. In this case, Peter's trying to, I don't know, he's got fear for his own safety probably. Next thing you know, I, I might be on trial next to Jesus if they think I'm in his band of disciples. So he denies it. He pretends he isn't. No, I, I'm not the guy you think I am. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately... The Bible says, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the next verse says in Luke 22 that Jesus and Peter locked eyes at that moment. And Peter just crumbled. Just, just crushed because it all came to the surface. The lie came to the surface and he realized what he'd done. So now we start to see that this commandment isn't just, oh, well, somebody telling an obvious, blatant lie in a courtroom or slandering somebody or starting some lie, vicious rumor about somebody online or, or in person. It's denial, it's betrayal, it's exaggeration, it's fabrication, it's flattery. I know the phrase flattery will get you everywhere, and I get it. I mean, it's kind of cute and it's kind of fun, and people like to hear nice words about them. But after a while... It all just kind of crumbles like a house of cards. Because it's insincere. It's a lie. Usually the person who tries to flatter everybody could care less about the people they're flattering. They're doing it for selfish motives. This is what God's word says. For such people are not serving our Lord, but their own appetites. They want to get the raise. They want to get the promotion. They want to be in that circle of friends at school. They want to fit in in the neighborhood. They, 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 so they lie with flattery in order to serve their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. I could go on and on. There's like 27 different categories of lying. But that's not the point. The point is just to say it's pretty broad and then to say this. Here's the big one that almost all humans trip up on at one point or another. Give in to the temptation. Jesus says, the Bible clearly says, do not gossip. And we're like, yeah, but it's so juicy. It just looks so fun. It looks so satisfying. It'll be so good for me. It'll be so fun. And I've got some extra dirt. Well, I'm not sure, but I'll act like I am. I'll just throw it on top. It's the George Costanza approach to life. If you watch Seinfeld in the 90s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you didn't, George is a liar. He's an accomplished liar. He's a highly sort of successful liar, at least in terms of kind of sort of getting away with the lies for a while. But in every case, eventually it catches up with him. He lies to his parents. 
He lies to his girlfriends. He lies to his friends. He lies to his bosses. He makes up stories to any strangers. He lies to everybody in order to appear to be something he's not, which is a lie to himself. It's funny. It's funny to watch, especially if you appreciate this series, as I do. It's hilarious to watch George trip over himself, to give in to these temptations, to instead of just the easy route sometimes would be just come clean, George, just confess it, just say you lied, just tell the truth. But he's like, no, he just insists on holding on to the lie. So it's really funny, but let me ask you this. Would you want to be George Costanza? Would you want to have to have that life of having to cover your lies all the time? That that's like your main full-time job? Because one lie always leads to several others. Which is why Sally and I always tried to teach our kids growing up, the truth is good enough. You don't need to exaggerate. Who you are for real is plenty good. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. You just are who God has made you to be. And that's more than good enough. But George, the gossiper, the liar says, you know, I'm much more comfortable criticizing people behind their backs. It's funny, but it's killing him. And it's killing his relationships. A troublemaker, the Bible says, plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. So in one of my all-time favorite episodes of Seinfeld, I'm going to show you a short little clip. It's not George who gets stuck in the lie and tempted to lie and gives into it. It's Jerry. Jerry has a crush on a woman who's a New York City police officer, and she invites him to the precinct, to the, to the, to the headquarters where she works, and she shows him a polygraph test. I need to give you a little bit more background. Back in the 90s, there was another show on TV called Melrose Place. <laughs> Melrose Place was total and complete soap opera trash. But it was on at prime time. And I think it was the number one show in America for years. Everybody watched it, but nobody claimed to watch it. That was kind of the joke because it was so dark. It was about these young adults who all kind of lived in this place, Melrose Place, and they all slept with each other and cheated each other and stole from each other and manipulated each other and basically broke all Ten Commandments every episode. <laughs> so Jerry, pretending to be a more macho guy than he really is, more of a man's man than he really is, when he's questioned about Melrose Place, even though he's the Melrose Place number one fan, he watches every episode. He denies it. He bears false witness. And it gets him in a little bit of a predicament. Take a look. Polygraph. What you civilians call a lie detector test. Oh, all right, let me ask you now. When someone is lying, is it true that their pants are actually on fire? <laughs> if I could tell you the famous faces that have been up here. Get out. A certain cast member of Melrose Place. Really? Have you ever seen the show? No. <laughs> you can admit it, Jerry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'd admit it. I don't watch it. Hey, Lou. Maybe we should put him on the poly. The poly? Yeah. I think you've seen it. Now Jerry's in trouble. Now he's got an even bigger dilemma. He lied, and this is the problem with one lie. It always multiplies. Almost always multiplies. And now he's got a choice to make. Go God's way, come clean. Hey, I was trying to act cooler than I really am. I'm not a big fan of Melrose Place. It's a little embarrassing, but that's who I am. And so, you know, I still like you. Maybe we can keep dating. Sorry I lied. That was wrong. 
There's a reason that's God's way. It would have allowed him to have a chance with this woman. Relationships are where the real riches of life are. Instead, he decides, I have to beat the polygraph. <laughs> I have to beat the lie detector test. So I just happen to be best friends with New York City's best liar, George Costanza. So I'll go to him for some advice. How do I beat this lie detector? I'm sorry, Jerry, I can't help you. Come on, you got the gift. You're the only one that can help me. Jerry, I can't. It's like saying to Pavarotti, teach me to sing like you. <laughs> All right, well, I got to go take this test. I can't believe I'm doing this. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. What's your name? Jerry Seinfeld. What is your address? 129 West 81st Street. Did Kimberly steal Joe's baby? I don't know. Did Billy sleep with Allison's best friend? I don't know. Did Jane's fiance kidnap Sydney and take her to Las Vegas? And if so, did she enjoy it? I don't know. Did Jane sleep with Michael again? Yes! Yes, that stupid idiot! He left her for Kimberly! He's up with her sister! He tricked her into giving him half her business, and then she goes ahead and sleeps with him again! I mean, she's crazy! How could she do something like that? I mean, that Jane, how oh, she just makes me so mad! And his relationship with that woman is over at that moment. And that's the problem with giving in to the father of lies. And so it goes. Lying wrecks relationships, which is where the true wealth in life is. Which is why God says, because I love you, I'm going to give you these boundaries. I'm going to give you these commands, not to keep you from the good life, but to lead you to it. Covering lies is absolutely exhausting. It's like this unbelievably enthralling race that they've come up with in the Olympics and probably elsewhere too, where you cross-country ski like seven marathons all at once, and you bring a rifle with you, and, and halfway through when you're just beat dead tired, you have to stop and shoot at a target. And you have to hit the target, truth or consequences, you get penalized and have to take even more laps after pacing you, yourself for these ultra marathons on skis, now you have to add to that because you didn't hit the target. Do you know, biblically speaking, in the original text of scripture, that's the literal definition of sin. It's taking a bow and arrow and aiming for a target and missing the mark. That's the biblical definition of sin. We aim to do the right thing, but we go our own way or the world's way instead of God's way, which is the bullseye, and we miss the mark. Maybe not like 180 degrees off, maybe just one or two degrees, but it's still sin, and it still kills, and it still destroys relationships. We miss the mark, and it's exhausting. Look at these poor souls after they get to the finish line. That's like us when we finally have to kind of come clean with, like Jerry did with the lie detector test, saying, all right, you got me, I'm done, I'm destroyed. 
Mark Twain famously said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Let me just peel back one fun layer of truth here. He's lying about his name. His name's Samuel Clemens, but never mind that. Still, he's right about this, and it's biblical. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. You don't have to keep covering it up. It's easier for you. It's better for you. And if it's easier and better for you, you're going to be healthier, research says. And you're going to live a longer life. And you're going to have better relationships. Isn't it amazing when the research catches up with the timeless truth of God's Ten Commandments and His laws, who says, I've given you this command so that you'll have a happier, healthier, longer, better life. It will go better for you if you do this. If that's still not enough, here's the thing that finally kind of was the alarm for me. I still remember, I was like eighth grade, and this verse was introduced to me in a sermon, in a class, and it absolutely freaked me out. So if I'm freaking you out today, you're welcome. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open. All those secrets you're keeping that I'm keeping, they won't stay secret in eternity. And we're only here for a relative blink of an eye. We're going to be in heaven forever and ever. And it will all be revealed. It will all come out. Everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. The sun's coming up on the truth. And that day's going to last forever. Which is humbling and a little intimidating and scary. Except that we have a God of grace. And everybody you see in heaven will be there because they've been forgiven of their sins by God's amazing grace, not just you. So God's word is saying it would be good if you get in alignment with this right now. It'll go better for you if you do. You might as well come clean now because it's the truth. And Jesus is the truth. And when we bear false witness, we move away from Jesus. And when we testify or witness to the truth, we're witnessing to our faith in Jesus Christ. Saying, even though it looks like this is the better way to go, I'm going with Jesus. It's a matter of faith. Because I trust he knows me better than I know myself. And he knows this world he created better than the world who's living in it knows. He knows the ins and outs and the details, the hairs that are on my head. He knows how many there are. So if you have lied to somebody, come clean, the Bible says. If we say we have no sin, 1 John 1, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're lying to ourselves. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it gets a little trickier when somebody lies about you. As I'm sure almost all of you are feeling or have felt. What do you do then? If another believer, if somebody else sins against you, go privately. Privately. Everybody say privately. privately. Shout it out. Say privately. privately. The world says go public. Post it. Tell everybody except the person who did you wrong. Go after them. Go, uh, start some rumors. Uh, uh, get revenge. Get them back. Show them you're not going to take it anymore. How's that working out for our world? For our nation? for our communities, for our neighborhoods. If another believer sins against you, you just go to that one privately 
It's hard, it takes courage, it's countercultural, it's swimming upstream in a downstream world, but it will bless you. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. If they won't listen, the Bible goes on, Jesus goes on to say here in Matthew 18, take two or three witnesses to support your story to make sure you're hearing it right. If they still won't listen, take it to, a, to, to the church, and then that's it. Let it go. Forgive. That doesn't mean that you bless the sin, that you, that you give a thumbs up to the lie, that you say, that was great that that happened to me. Forgiveness means you let it go. You refuse to carry the burden anymore. You refuse to carry the weight. You let it go. What's fascinating to me, and I had missed this, I'd forgotten it. Just a couple of verses later, Jesus goes on in a conversation with Peter. Peter says, okay, hearing that, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? If I have to kind of work it out with these people I don't like, you know, the other fishing companies at the Sea of Galilee, I can't stand them. Can I just forgive them seven times? You know, most of the world wouldn't forgive them at all. They just hold a grudge forever. But what if I forgive them seven times? A biblical number for a complete cycle, completion. Would that be enough? And Jesus says, no, Peter. I say not seven times, but 70 times seven, which translated from original Greek to today's English means infinity. As N.T. Wright, the great biblical scholar, wrote about this, he said, if you're keeping score on how many times you have to forgive somebody, you've missed the whole point of forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't keep score. It doesn't hold a grudge. It doesn't exact revenge. We're terrible at it. They're not going to get away with it, God reminds us. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The truth will all be revealed. You'll be vindicated. You'll also be accused. So we're all in the same boat. So that grace that God has for us, let it fill you up and pour out of you to the world around you. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. So we have this cross at Hope, the highest point, the highest point of elevation on our campus here in West Des Moines. And from the ground to the top of the cross, it's exactly to the inch 70 feet high. And the horizontal bar across the cross, exactly to the inch is seven feet wide. To remind us every time we come by here, drive by here, come into this holy space, we are commanded to be people of grace, to let it go to try to work it out, to do it the way Jesus taught us to do it. And if we still haven't been able to get anywhere, we're going to give it to God and say, you're the judge. It's not my job. You'll bring justice. I'm not very good at it. You take care of this for me, Lord. And that truth will set us free. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. And he's life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So we have these commandments, and these commandments are for our good. And if we learn them and memorize them, that's great. One, you shall have no other gods. Everyone say, no other gods. <laughs> Two, don't mess with God's name. Say that. Three, have a rest day and keep it holy. Say that. That's your Sabbath. The first three table, one, you and your relationship with God. Number four, we start at home with us and our relationship with other people. This one's for the kids, and it is honor your parents. Everyone say that. Number five is for parents. Do not murder. Everybody say that. Number six is Melrose Place. You already know it. Say it with me. Do not commit adultery. Oh, you didn't know it. Say it again. Do not commit adultery. Maybe you're new here today. That's all right. 
Number seven, last week's sermon was on stealing. So it is. Number seven, do not. Today's about lying. Let's sum it up. Say, do not lie. Number eight. And number nine and ten are the covet twins. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Everybody say that. And number 10 is do not covet your neighbor's spouse or anything else that's your neighbor. See, it rhymes. It's easy. Say that. Do not covet your neighbor's spouse or anything else. Turn to the person next to you and say, I think I got these 10 commandments down. They're not hard to memorize. More importantly than memorizing them and knowing them, because the devil knows them, he's got them memorized, is applying them and letting them lead you and guide you to the abundant life that God's created you to live. Who do you trust? Amen. Together we'll stand and sing out this song.